You know, I'm sure most of you have seen at some point in your life the movie Remember the Titans. You know, it's based on a true story about a high school in Virginia and the challenges faced by the football team when the school was integrated. And early on in the film, you see all these racial tensions between black and white players and coaches. And the head coach, Herman Boone, played by Denzel Washington, finally just gets fed up with all of the conflict and the racial strife. And so he takes the whole team to the site where the Battle of Gettysburg took place. And in that place, he tells them that 50,000 men had died right there on that field, fighting the same fight that they were still fighting amongst themselves and their football team. And he said to them, he said, you listen and you take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. And he said to them, he said, I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And so at the site of the Civil War's deadliest battle, Coach Boone taught his team a valuable lesson, and that, proved, that lesson proved to be the turning point in the movie as his team begins to come together to pursue a common goal, and they develop bonds and friendships and overcome animosity and prejudice. You see, sometimes we have to go to a specific place to learn a lesson. This is why schools take kids on field trips. You know, a skilled teacher knows that sometimes being on site just... It just helps students learn something on a deeper level. And in our passage today, as we continue studying the life of the Apostle Peter, Jesus takes Peter and the disciples on a bit of a field trip because he has something important that he wants to teach them. And our text today is Matthew chapter 16. And at this point, Peter and the disciples have been following Jesus for quite a while now. They've heard his sermons and teachings and parables. They've witnessed his integrity and character, his sinless perfection. They've watched him heal a leper. They've watched him heal a paralytic and give sight to blind men. They've witnessed him calm a storm and walk on water and feed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. But now, Jesus takes them aside and he takes them on a field trip to a place called Caesarea Philippi to make sure that they understand who he is and what he came to do in this world. You see, Caesarea Philippi was a Gentile city about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. It had been the center for Baal worship, and it was a city dedicated to the pagan gods. There were temples dedicated to Pan, who was the god of the wild. You can still see in this photo where some of the temples and the shrines are carved into the rock. And the most recent temple that had been built in Jesus' time was it was built for Caesar. And Caesar called himself the Son of God, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. This was inscribed on the walls in his temple. You can also see that cave down at the bottom of uh, the picture. The, the pagan people at that time understood that cave to be the gates to the underworld, to Hades, or what our Bibles translate as hell. The pagan people, meaning those who worship the Romans' God, they believed that their fertility gods lived deep within that cave. So at times in the year, they would go into this cave... And they would commit detestable acts of sexual immorality and prostitution and even bestiality as a way to summon the gods. And so think about this. Jesus' disciples, for the most part, are good Jewish men. And Jesus takes them to this place of unmentionable evil and immorality and blasphemy. I mean, this place would have made them extremely uncomfortable. This was a place that people believed to be the actual gates of hell and the place where the Roman Caesar arrogantly declared himself to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's here that Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. He says, Now when Jesus came into the, to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, Jesus begins by asking his disciples a simple question. He says, Who do people say that I am? And at this point in Jesus' ministry, people are talking about Jesus. I mean, He's created quite a buzz all around Galilee and Jerusalem, and He draws big crowds wherever He goes at this point. And so Jesus, He asks His disciples, He says, Hey, what are the people saying about me? And the disciples answered, they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, why would they say this? Well, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 14, King Herod unjustly arrests and executes John the Baptist, who was a well-known prophet and forerunner to Jesus. And not long after this, Herod begins hearing rumors of this man, Jesus, who is performing miracles. And he sort of thinks to himself, "Uh uh-oh, maybe this is John the Baptist coming back from the dead, and maybe he's going to get me or something. And so maybe this idea had caught on with many of the citizens, and people were saying that Jesus is some sort of reincarnated version of John the Baptist. Well, then the disciples say that some people say that you're Elijah. I mean, now literally the final words of the Old Testament or a prophecy that God will send another prophet like Elijah who will come before the Messiah. This is Malachi 4. And this was an extremely familiar passage, and so many of the Jewish people were convinced that Jesus was Elijah. But Luke chapter 1, verse 17 actually reveals to us that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of this prophecy, not Jesus. The disciples also remark, some, some say you're Jeremiah, and perhaps you know this is because Jeremiah was one of the more tender and compassionate prophets in the Old Testament, and The crowd saw many of these characteristics in Jesus, and so perhaps they just thought, maybe he's some type of Jeremiah. And the disciples finally say, and others just simply say you're a prophet. People say you're a good teacher. You're another prophet like all the previous prophets of Israel. And you know, this is what many people today essentially believe. Islam teaches that Jesus was simply another prophet. And honestly, if you just ask the average New Yorker who Jesus is, they'll probably say, well, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He did some good things. I mean, this was likely the most common view of, Je- both of, Jesus's, of Jesus both in His day and in ours. But Jesus doesn't just want to know what the crowds say about Him. He actually, he, he asks the disciples, He wants to know what they think about Him. He says, who do people say I am, but who do you say that I am? Forget what everyone else is saying. I want to know what you think. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter is the first to speak up. This is a bit of a pattern for him. Peter is a loudmouth. He's the one who always has an answer. He's the one that always speaks up first. And sometimes this gets him in trouble, as we're going to see next week. But today and in this moment, he's right on. He gets it right. He says, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And now many people think that Christ is Jesus' last name. Like he's Mr. Christ in the same way that I'm Mr. McGee. But Christ is not a name. It's a title. See, in the Old Testament, from the very moment that sin and evil entered into the world and distorted all that was good, God promised that He would send a Messiah, a Savior, an Anointed One, a Christ, who would come and make things right. The Christ would be greater than all the prophets of Israel. He would proclaim the truth like no one before Him. 
The Christ would be greater than all the priests of Israel. He would offer the final sacrifice for the sins of the people. He would make a way for their sins to be forgiven completely. And the Christ would be greater than all the kings of Israel. The Christ would rescue the people from their oppression and He would rule and reign with justice and mercy and integrity. And the people of Israel had been waiting and hoping and longing for the promised Messiah, this Christ, for thousands of years. And now, in this moment, Peter proclaims, it's you, Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah who has come to proclaim the truth and save the people from their sins and establish a kingdom that is greater than any kingdom on earth. You, Jesus, are the King of kings and Lord of lords and the Son of God, not Caesar. And Jesus says, right on, Peter. You have been given eyes of faith by my Father in heaven. And now look what Jesus says to Peter. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is where Caesarea Philippi begins to come into focus, and we begin to see why Jesus brought His disciples to this particular place. Caesarea Philippi was a city with temples carved in stone on the side of a cliff to false gods. And it's as if Jesus looks at Peter and says, not on this big rock that we're standing on, but on this rock. And he points to Peter. He says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And there's been a lot of speculation over the the millennia about what Jesus means when he says, on this rock, I will build my church. The Roman Catholic tradition says that the rock is referring to Peter himself, that the church is built on Peter's leadership, that it's built on his authority. But many in the Protestant tradition say, no, 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 the rock is referring to Peter's confession. Jesus is going to build his church on the truth of Peter's confession, the confession that Jesus is the Christ. And so we ask, well, which is it? And truthfully, I think it's a little bit of both, but mostly the second. I mean, we can't deny that God uses Peter in really significant ways to spread the message of Jesus. Well, We're going to see this more as we continue to study Peter's life, but it was Peter who preached the message at Pentecost that kick-started the growth of the church after Jesus' resurrection. And it was Peter who was one of the chief leaders in the church in Jerusalem. So it is true that Jesus does build His church through Peter's leadership. I mean, God used him in powerful ways. But I think more importantly, it's the message that Peter preached, the message that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. That's what had the real power. Because, I mean, the church, it's not built on Peter. The church is built on Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone. And so Jesus says to Peter, when he says, on this rock, he means on this truth, this confession that I am the Christ, I'm going to build my church. And I will build a people who will worship me as king and follow me as Lord. And then Jesus, I imagine, he looks at that big cave at Caesarea Philippi and he says to his disciples, and guys, the gates of hell will not overcome my church. There's no evil that can stop what Jesus is building. There's no government that can silence God's people. There's no false religion or false gods that can overwhelm the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. His name will be worshipped and people will be added to His kingdom and there is nothing in this world that can stop that from happening. Now, with the time that I have left this morning, I want to offer two points of encouragement for you and me. And the first is this, and it is the most fundamental truth of the Christian faith. It is the foundation in which all, uh, all that we believe, do, and say, and cherish is built upon. And it's this. Jesus is the Christ. 
You know, when Jesus asked his disciples what the crowd said about him, they listed off all sorts of things they had heard others say. And likewise, you may have heard all sorts of things from all different types of people about what, who Jesus is. And some might say he was a good teacher. Some might say he was a good example. Some might say he was a political revolutionary who subverted the powers of the Roman Empire and the religious establishment of his day. And all of those things would be true, but I think those things are incomplete because Jesus is far more than just an exemplary or exciting historical figure. Peter recognized something about Jesus that was truer and deeper and more glorious than any of the things that the crowd said about him. He said, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And this belief was the foundation upon which Peter's life was transformed and in which Peter's life was built. So, and what about you this morning? Who do you say Jesus is? Not what do your parents say about who Jesus is. Not what do the people in your office or your building say about who Jesus is. Who do you believe Jesus to be? And if Jesus is the Christ, then that will transform the way you worship and it will transform the way you live and it will change the way you think and the way you act. Listen, if Jesus is the Christ, then everything He says is true and trustworthy. And the way of life and the ethics and the commands in which He is inviting you to obey and live are good and right, and they will lead you into abundant life. If Jesus is the Christ, then the life you read about in the Gospels is possible if you'll just follow and trust and obey Him. If Jesus is the Christ, then He is the one who mediates between sinners and God. If Jesus is the Christ, that means that He is the one who makes a way for sinners to know God, to be forgiven by God, to be loved by God, to be welcomed by God. If Jesus is the Christ, then there is nothing in your past or present or your future that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Your guilt can be removed. Your shame can be lifted through the cross of Jesus. And your fears can be overwhelmed and pushed out by the power of Jesus through His resurrection. If Jesus is the Christ, then that means He's the King. And everything belongs to Him. And everything is under His rule and His authority. And that means that one day every evil will be undone by His perfect justice. And every sad thing will become untrue. And every tear will be wiped away from your eyes. And death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore if Jesus is the Christ. Who do you say Jesus is? I personally choose to stand with Peter and with the saints and the generations of those all over the world who came after him who believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that belief has transformed my life. That belief has given me peace to know that I'm loved by God even in spite of my failures. It's given me hope even in the days where my life has felt out of control and hopeless. It's given me faith to believe that a life lived in obedience to the way of Jesus is the fullest kind of life. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the second thing I want to encourage you with this morning is that nothing, nothing can stop the work of Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I see a lot of American Christians these days that seem to just be so fearful of what's going on in the world. And if I'm honest, I can be a bit pessimistic at times too. I mean, many Christians... If Times it feels like we're being pushed to the margins of society. It feels like often that we're the butt of jokes and that we're insulted and cast aside and not thought about. Many Christians feel that our faith has become too politicized and we feel like we often push people away from Jesus. And honestly, I share these fears. But as Americans, we need to be careful because America is not the center of the universe. 
There's a whole big world out there. And when we become so myopic in the way that we see ourselves, we lose sight of what God is doing all over the world. And despite what you may feel, Jesus is indeed building His church all over the world right now. The message of Jesus and the hope of the gospel is believed by more people right now than at any time in human history. The way that the church is exploding in places like China and India, South America and Africa is proof that Jesus is building His church and nothing can stop it. If you just look through history, you see that the message of the gospel grew and thrived even during the Roman Empire. Rome! The most powerful and ruthless empire in human history tried but could not stop the message that Jesus is the Christ from going forward. The message of the gospel has survived virtually every government that has tried to suppress it. In 1950, Mao Zedong made Christianity illegal in China. He executed Christians, he banned Bibles and missionaries, but guess what? Under his reign, Christianity was not snuffed out like he predicted. But the church in China grew from 1 million believers to over 100 million believers in just over 50 years. And if you ever feel pessimistic about the present state or the future of Christianity, I want you to reflect on the fact that historians say that over half of all Christians who have ever existed are alive right now. That means that there are more Christians walking the planet this morning than, there are number, than the number of Christians who are with Jesus in heaven right now. I mean, the church has even survived the times when evil people have perverted the message of Jesus to justify their evils. The message of Jesus survived the Crusades. The message of Jesus survived American slavery in the Jim Crow South. Some of the greatest Christian heroes in America are men and women of color who even as their oppressors twisted and distorted the words of the Bible and the words of Jesus to claim that God endorsed slavery and other evils that they committed in Jesus' name. Black Christians all over the South and throughout America said, the crowds may say these untruthful things about Jesus. The slave owners may say these terrible things about what Jesus is about, but it does not matter what the crowds say. The apostle Peter said that Jesus is the Christ and so do we. And the Christ always stands with the oppressed and gives freedom to the prisoner. And the message of the gospel has sustained and empowered black men and women through one of the ugliest stains in our nation's history. Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is no evil in this world that can take away the hope of Jesus and there is no system of government in this world that can nullify the message of the gospel. Now, maybe I can bring this thing down just a little bit for us. Crossroads, the coronavirus is not going to hurt our little church here in Brooklyn. Because our hope, our foundation is not in the fact that we gather physically in person at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings on the corner of 67th and 4th. Our hope is and always has been in Jesus, who is the Christ. And nothing, especially not a pandemic, is going to stop what Jesus is building. And even if we have to worship together online for who knows how long, Nothing will stop us from worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus took His disciples to Caesarea Philippi that day, and He taught them something that they would never forget. He taught them that He is the Christ. And because He is the Christ, what He is building can never be shaken. And the disciples, they went on to see Jesus' words come true as they proclaimed that He was the Messiah to the ends of the earth. And just three centuries after Jesus resurrected, that village of Caesarea Philippi, it became a hub for the Christian faith. 
Historians say that by the time the 4th century rolls around, all of the temples to the false gods in Caesarea Philippi had been converted into churches where Jesus was worshipped as the Christ. You see, whatever you're afraid of today, you can find peace in knowing that Jesus is the Christ and nothing can stop His glory from going forth in your life. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we thank You for the hope of Jesus. We thank You that Jesus, Your Son, is indeed the Christ. And because He is the Christ, we can have abundant life and eternal life. And so God, we worship You and we thank You for all that You've given us and all that You've done for us. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.